0: good morning it is Monday April 24th welcome to another edition of the 801 on board this morning we'll have new sports weather and time checks I'm Kent Garrett, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM and MTC cable channel 20 in the Catskills, and we are streaming to the world on WIOXradio.org on your computer or smartphone, plus you can hear us at 107.5 FM on the SUNY Delhi campus. And coming up, Donald Trump's legal problems get worse. RFK Jr. is running for president. We'll have another edition of Truth and Lies. Plus, we'll tell you what's happening in Sudan. Those stories and more coming up. Taking a look at weather now for the central Catskills region of New York, according to the National Weather Service. Today, a slight chance of showers after 3 p.m. and then mostly cloudy with a uh, high near 50 degrees and the winds will be coming out of the west at 5 to 8 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation today is 20%. And tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 30 degrees and tomorrow we can expect a slight chance of showers after 3 p.m. and then partly sunny with a high near 50 degrees Winds out of the west at 6 to 9 miles per hour, and a chance of precipitation tomorrow is 20%, and tomorrow night, partly cloudy with a low around 29 degrees. The temperature right now outside of our studios here in Roxbury, New York, and we're in the Catskills. We're 150 miles north of New York City, 71 miles southwest of Albany, and 37 miles and 30, 37 degrees here right now, and it's cloudy. And the high today will be 48 degrees. Sun's rise was at 602. Sunset will be at 749 this evening. And the humidity in Roxbury right now is 85%. Taking a look at headlines, the uh, Fox Corporation's 7875 million-dollar settlement with uh, Dominion voting systems over that the uh, dec- defamation charges. Uh, it turns out that the ultimate cost to Fox, to the media company, is likely to be much lower. A Columbia University professor estimates that Fox, after a tax write-off, will incur about three-fourths of the settlement amount. The network, uh, though, faces more potentially costly legal challenges ahead, including a $2.7 billion lawsuit from uh, Smartmatic. Republicans are caught between a conservative base that wants a nationwide abortion ban, which is unpopular overall, and their desire to win elections uh, in the past six months, the Democrats have outperformed uh, Republicans in both the House and Senate during the uh, 2022 midterm elections. Uh, Republicans are trying to steer clear of abortion politics on the national stage after the Supreme Court overturned Roe uh, v. Wade, and uh, Republican National uh, Nancy Mace, a Republican from South Carolina, warns her colleagues that, quote, they need to read the room on this issue. And the shooting of 16-year-old Ralph Yarl by a white man whose uh, home the uh, black teen mistakenly went to in Kansas City, Missouri, showcases the country's, quote, uh, fetishization of guns, and that's what the mayor of uh, Kansas City said, he said this is the sort of thing that happens when you have the culture of paranoia and the fear that being drummed up that's being drummed up by politicians and some of the media and that's uh, what quentin lucas said who was the Kansas City Missouri mayor and gop candidate uh for the 2024 20, election nikki haley clearly has a very delicate balance to strike in her Presidential primary against uh, Trump and a and a geo base that includes white extremists. She has largely been avoiding talking about the bill that she signed as governor of South Carolina that uh, removed the Confederate flag from a monument at the South Carolina State House. The uh, one Republican consultant said that the notion of uh, amazing grace or courage is not really a high. Highly rewarded political feature these days in a GOP primary. And the the uh, cop, the police, the cop who fired the bullet that killed Breonna Taylor is uh, in a botched Kentucky police raid. Now is now reportedly works as a sheriff's department uh, an hour away in miles miles. Uh, Miles Cosgrove was fired, uh, he fired 16 shots during the raid, including the shot, the round that was fatal to the uh, 26-year-old uh, black woman, Breonna Taylor. And again, uh, Miles Cosgrove has now become a sheriff in a town that's about an hour away. And New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman uh, predicted a potential 2024 presidential Contest between Trump and President Joe Biden is, go, is quote going to be much uglier," Haberman added. That the uh, X factor is that is what Biden's running is going to look like, and uh, Biden, the President Joe Biden, is reportedly preparing to announce his uh, re-election campaign sometime this week. And in sports, the Knicks uh, beat the, beat Cleveland 102 to 93. And they now lead that series 3-1. to And uh, Brooklyn lost on Saturday, and they they are out of the uh, playoffs. Well, we begin the A Block this morning with uh, Donald Trump's legal nightmares getting worse. Special counsel Jack Smith is uh, putting together, uh, is actually getting inside Trump's inner circle with top Trump advisor Boris Epstein. He came in for questioning over the weekend, and ABC News reports that the, the uh, DOJ prosecutor met with Epstein for a second day with a focus on Epstein's uh, interactions with uh, Donald Trump himself, as well as uh, Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman. MSNBC's chief legal correspondent, Ari Mulberg, breaks down the new pressures that are on citizen Trump.
1: But the special counsel was back at it today. Jack Smith has been closing in on many aspects of these Trump plots, and he is again questioning one of the most senior people in Trump's orbit. As we've been reporting from the beginning of his political era, 2015 or so, all the way through the arraignment, we're talking about Boris Epstein. The second day, talking to investigators, ABCs at ABC reporting after. Several hours of questions, Epstein is back for more, prosecutors looking at his conversations and interactions with Trump attorneys like Giuliani, as well as Kenneth Chesbro and John Eastman, and Trump himself. The Washington Post has reported that Epstein speaks to Trump in the current era as many as five times a day, which means there's a lot linking him and the former president in ways that these investigators are clearly interested in. As for those names... They're familiar because they are part of the controversial set of advisors who were helping try to normalize, seed the ground for, or literally execute on a coup plot. All of them, the three I just mentioned, Giuliani, Cheesebro, and Eastman, have been recommended for criminal prosecution by the January 6th Committee, which was serving in the last Congress. ABC also reports that Smith personally sat in on part of Epstein's interview Thursday, that he, as the leader of this investigation, did not lob any questions, which would be typical, but that he made a point, according to this reporting, of walking into the room. Now, Epstein is under scrutiny for more than one thing, but we do know that his role in planning the January 6th coup and trying to seed the paperwork, the eventual fraud to normalize it, is clearly of interest. He's also already had his phone seized by the feds. That's something we saw in another controversial Trump lawyer, John Eastman, memorably on this video from New Mexico. Hands on his head, agents taking the phone. Epstein also was mentioned over and over in the final investigative report from that January 6th committee I mentioned. You could see here just how many different times he comes up in a report that, of course, had many different big names to deal with but was Pulling on the threads of who planned the coup, of who planned the elector fraud, of who was trying to overthrow election results at the state or federal level after they had been certified under law. And you could see all the references there. That is not a good thing if you are then later trying to say, hey, you weren't involved. Then there is the fact that like Giuliani and sometimes like Donald Trump himself, Mr. Epstein does like to go out and talk and explain his role. Indeed, he admitted in an interview here on The Beat that he was pushing what became an elector fraud plot. He then, in that same interview, appeared to try to argue that he was carrying out orders from on high, from Rudy Giuliani. He also went on Steve Bannon's War Room, pushing the plot for pets.
0: The vice president's
1: got
2: a lot of power, and that's very important to recognize. Are we to assume right. that this is going to be a climactic battle that's going to take place this week about the very question of the constitutionality of the Electoral Count Act of 1877?
3: Well, I think a lot of that depends on the courage and the spine of the individuals involved. Vice President Mike Pence? I don't yes. want to
1: that's John Eastman there with Bannon, and I've mentioned this before, but it fits into the whole context. At the time, this was all being presented as sort of a kind of a brainstorming or a discussion, right? That Bannon asks the questions, Eastman answers, Epstein is on the side advising them, and then going out with Giuliani to give his press tour, which then also involves speaking to government entities, and that's important to Jack Smith, because lying in interviews or on the war room is different than lying to a state legislature. But we know now from the committee report that I mentioned that I showed you on the screen and a lot of other information that this was all highly coordinated, that that pressure on Pence was coming from the memos Eastman had drawn up. And the excuses that they were offering Pence, who we now know had already told them, hey, guys, I don't think I can just single handedly help steal this election for you. The excuses were being quarterbacked in to Epstein, who was saying, well, what if there were two slates of electors? What if there were questions? Maybe we can get you documents and you can respond to those. The problem was those documents weren't real. They were fraud, attempted to be submitted to the government. And now the government, through Jack Smith, is investigating whether that crossed the line into federal crimes. All of that goes to other crimes as well, because Epstein is under a lot of pressure here. He was at the table at Trump's arraignment. The Times reports he speaks to the former president several times a day. Another outlet, The Washington Post, said it could be up to five times a day. Now, are they talking about the past, the coup, Trump's legal troubles, or lately will they be talking about Epstein's legal troubles? And will Trump want to know what his sometime lawyer and sometimes pugilistic sort of political fighter, what he told these investigators yesterday and today? I want to bring in David Kelly, who is the former U.S. attorney who ran the famed SDNY. Also, I should mention my former boss uh, and someone who, like Uh, Jack Smith and some of the people in that room, uh, knows exactly how you do interviews like this. And so that's where we start, David. Uh, When you look at someone like Boris Epstein, who has so much involvement in so many different aspects, um, just at an investigative level, how would you and how will federal prosecutors try to get this information from him?
3: So uh, a couple of thoughts here, Ari. First off, Jack Smith has taken a very methodical approach here, which is really encouraging. And going through all the people around the president, the, the former president, to find out what he knew. And let me add this additional thought, which is, which I think is a little bit unique with Epstein, which is, he is reportedly the good the good news guy for Trump. Um, and what one of the angles, just one of the angles that I think Jack Smith may be taking is let's find out what the good news boy said to the president. So we can kind of preempt a defense of saying, well, look, I was told by a lawyer X, you know, so the, right. the good news stuff. So they may be trying to X that out. But I think it's also important. One of the big things. And I, and I think, you know, they took his phone and I think reportedly in September. So here we are. They've analyzed everything. And they're, I'm, I'm sure they are very. Carefully walking through each and every text to find out what was going on, what was meant, what you know, and outside of the text, what that person said to him and what he heard others say to each other. Um, so they were going to let's, you know, slow, map down. That let's slow down. Let's slow down on that
1: point because you're re- you're just reminding people how this stuff works, but not everyone does these kind of probes, David. Uh, a lot of folks don't want their phone read by strangers, even if they weren't involved in a coup that turned into a seditious. Yeah. Uh, plot to overthrow the government. Most people don't like that idea. You're reminding us that uh, they haven't just been hanging out. What have they been doing? You're saying they they take that phone, they go through all that material and then they what they present that to him in questioning today they, they download it and they do what
3: they look for what's called hot documents. So they're going to look for a conversation that looks very interesting um, and they're gonna say, okay, when you said X and y and he said to you, you know, the next few things. What did you understand that to mean? What did you mean by that? And it's a bit of a painstaking thing. And some sometimes the answer is, well, what do you think it means? It means what it says it means. Um, but it's important to kind of walk through it, not only understand what the words mean, particularly when you're using text, which is slang and abbreviations and so forth, but also really important to focus on the context. Um, and sometimes these texts are in relation to, in response to, in the context of a prior conversation um, with somebody else or with the person with whom you're texting, and there's kind of a follow-up. Um, so it's very important to flesh this out a little bit and walk through each and every one of these texts to really understand what's being said. Now, what's really important about this is it's also going to kind of box The witness in, in the future proceeding, because they're they're kind of stuck with what they say here. Um, Presumably, you know, he has a lawyer who's prepped him, and they've gone through each and every one of these texts, so they kind of, a you know, in advance would would kind of understand or practice what they are going to say here. But it's really important for the special counsel's team to go through each and every one of those.
1: Yeah. Then you have uh, the further leaks we've got, and some of this not from the federal side, this probe, but other assorted legal pressure. Um, I was covering this Fox settlement earlier this week. Here's the new tape where Peter Navarro is talking to someone at Fox, but of course he is now awaiting trial for defying the Jan 6 Committee. Um, What you'll notice, David, and I want to get your response, is he's frustrated that he says Sidney Powell, another one of these lawyers, um, is not good for the cause, that he, he wants to overthrow the election a certain way and he doesn't like what she's doing. Take a listen.
2: We have no idea <clears> how <throat> damage she did to, uh, to our efforts. <clears throat> she really, she she really,
3: I'm telling you Abby, when the history was written on this, she was like the turning point in, in our inability to prove the case. Because she was going like, so far out there that people like pulled back. We were on the verge of some breakthroughs in the
2: state, state legislature level. And then that happened, <laughs> and then it was like Katie barred the
0: door. It's like, damn. Damn. Just not good.
1: David, I'm curious your view about this for investigating something that had so many different people who are at odds with each other. Uh, Because you have Epstein sitting literally at Trump's arraignment table, still on that good news team, as you put it. You have people who seem to be put more on the outs, uh, like Sidney Powell, a lot of folks blaming her. Would these investigators want to pick apart that and have these people kind of tell on each other?
3: Oh, absolutely. That's number one. Number two, what's really funny or interesting about the clip you just played is how by going as far out on the limb as she is, it takes away credibility to the story. When you start throwing Cesar Chavez into the mix and all sorts of crazy stuff, um, you know, lasers from out of space, that removes, you know, the opportunity to try to develop a credible story, which they were struggling with anyway. But Sidney Powell's version of events was so far out there, which I think helps to explain... Um, you know, because she's so far out there, it helps to explain that their story, too, is just kind of ridiculous.
0: Time now. It's coming up on 823. And now it's time for this morning's Truth and Lies segment. And this morning, it's a a little short piece about gun violence. (laughs) I'm Kent Garrett. Welcome to another episode of Truth and Lies. On Friday, April 14th, in a speech at the National Action Network, Kamala Harris said the following, quote, one in five Americans has lost a family member to gun violence. That is true. Harris's statistic comes from a Kaiser Family Foundation survey conducted in March. The poll found that 19% of U.S. adults have a family member who was killed by a gun, including by suicide. When politicians tell the truth, we call them out and keep track. Was this morning's uh, Truth and Lie segment. And meanwhile, over the weekend, Donald Trump issued another dangerous public threat. And uh, Brian Tyler Cohen has all the details.
2: My administration will again adopt rock-solid constitutional conservatives to be federal bench justices and judges. But in the mold of Antonin Scalia and Justice Clarence Thomas, who, by the way, right now is under siege by the radical left, I will continue to stand strong against the extreme late-term abortionists in the Democrat Party who believe in abortion on demand in the ninth month of pregnancy and even executing babies after birth. They actually talk beyond birth, after birth, executing the baby. This is where we've come, and it's so sad to see. Finally, I will require every federal employee to pass a new civil service test demonstrating an understanding of our constitutional limited government. This will include command of due process rights, equal protection, free speech, religious liberty, federalism, the Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable search and seizure. I know all about that at Mar-a-Lago, don't I? and all other constitutional limits on federal power. We will put unelected bureaucrats back in their place, liberate the U.S. economy, and attract millions of jobs and trillions of dollars to our shores. Thank you very much.
4: Now, there are two major issues at hand here. First of all, if you're looking for a warning about what's at stake in this upcoming election in 2024, it is that Donald Trump, the leading Republican candidate for the nomination, is vowing to add judges in the mold of Clarence Thomas, a promise that comes in the aftermath of the court that Clarence Thomas himself sits on, having struck down Roe v. Wade and a woman's right to a safe and legal abortion in the United States. And that's a decision, mind you, that's led to a massive backlash for Republicans at the ballot box. So not only is it grossly ignorant of 50 years of precedent in this country, But it's not even smart politically. I know those big brains out in the media love to pretend that Donald Trump is some political and marketing mastermind, but here's the message that he is sending right now. Remember the most unpopular Supreme Court decision in modern American history? If you elect me, I'll do more of that. Yeah, truly a genius political calculation. But when it comes to Clarence Thomas specifically, let's be clear about why he's quote-unquote under siege. Thomas has refused to recuse himself on cases that he himself personally has a vested interest in, including cases related to January 6, despite the fact that his own wife was involved in efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Remember, Ginny Thomas conferred with John Eastman, the lawyer who played a key role in trying to get Pence to block certification of the electoral votes. She pressed 29 Republican state lawmakers in Arizona to disregard Biden's victory in the state and choose their own presidential electors. Her message urged lawmakers to quote, stand strong in the face of political and media pressure and claim the responsibility to choose electors was quote yours and yours alone and that it was their responsibility to quote ensure that a clean slate of electors is chosen. We also know that she was at the stop the steal rally although she contends that she left before the insurrectionists made their way to the Capitol and we know that she was texting Trump's then chief of staff Mark Meadows to overturn the election results saying quote help this great president stand firm Mark and you are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governance at the precipice the majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history i mean this woman is a walking talking facebook comment section on a dan bongino video and that might explain why clarence thomas was the lone dissent in the supreme court's january decision rejecting trump's bid to withhold documents from the january 6 committee eight to one Only Clarence Thomas decided that Trump should be able to withhold documents from the committee investigating his coup attempt on the US Capitol. A coup attempt for which his wife attended the pre-rally, a coup attempt for which his wife was advocating, a coup attempt for which his wife was in communication with the architect. So the idea that this man is not severely compromised is naive at best and criminal at worst. In fact, most recently, Clarence Thomas checked the box labeled none for his wife's income on his disclosure form. During that period, Ginny Thomas actually earned more than $686,000 from the Conservative Heritage Foundation. And when called out on his lie, Thomas said the error was, quote, due to a misunderstanding of the filing instructions, because why would we expect a Supreme Court justice to understand the law? Silly us. So I know that Republicans love to traffic in perpetual victimhood, but the focus on Clarence Thomas here didn't happen in a vacuum. It's happened because of his own actions, and it's amazing that a political party that calls itself the party of personal responsibility doesn't seem capable of actually taking any. All of which is to say that when Trump threatens to appoint more judges in the mold of this guy, that should be a five alarm fire to anyone who cares about the sanctity of our democracy even the slightest bit. And then, of course, Trump went on to try and justify the right's wholly, aggressively unpopular position on abortion by introducing this desperate straw man that Democrats want post-birth abortion. Let's be clear, this is not happening anywhere infanticide is not legal anywhere nor has a single Democrat advocated for it anywhere if you can find me an example of a Democrat who's calling for babies to be aborted after birth send it on over but you won't because it doesn't exist and these Republicans know that it doesn't exist but they think their followers are morons so they say it anyway because no one has more contempt for their own supporters than Republicans but let's talk about late-term abortions because this is important let's be clear here according to the CDC almost 99% of abortions occur before 21 weeks. Republicans love to frame this as liberals just nonchalantly aborting babies on the day of their delivery as casually as they choose their Starbucks lattes, but that is not at all what's happening. Virtually every single abortion is happening before 21 weeks. And so think about why those last 1% of women are getting abortions after 21 weeks. The reasons range from women not knowing that they were pregnant, to fetal anomalies, to health risks for the mother. And so banning abortions after an arbitrary date isn't going to stop the kinds of hysterical reasons that Republicans fearmonger about, like infection. Anticide. It is simply going to impact the 1% of women who are already dealing with some major trauma. Again, 99% of abortions are happening early anyway. The only post-21 week abortions are the result of some major complication. That's who's being impacted. That's who Republicans would be making life more difficult for. The women who are already suffering due to some unforeseen issue the women who are already going through immeasurable pain. Republicans would be finding the single most vulnerable, desperate, heartbroken women there are and imposing an unnecessary burden onto them for solely political reasons. And let's be clear, they know that, but they're saying whatever they need to say to pander to the base to win an election, because it's not about helping others, it is about helping themselves. And by the way, Trump and the rest of the GOP understand that they are in the minority here. 70% of Americans support Roe. That is a majority of both Democrats and Republicans. We just watched as Democrats overperformed in historical fashion this past midterm cycle, thanks to the Dobbs decision, and even places like Deep Red Kansas voted against an abortion ban. So let's not pretend that these people are in any way anything other than extremists. All of which is to say that when Trump vows to nominate people like Clarence Thomas if he's re-elected, you should absolutely believe him. Trump caused these problems in the first place by nominating far-right judges with allegiances not to the law, but to their political party. Which means all of these problems that we're contending with right now, from abortion to threats to our very democracy, would only get worse if Trump was to ever take power again. This is one of those rare instances where he's actually telling the truth and we should absolutely believe him. So if for any reason you're thinking of sitting it out in 2024, Trump just gave you the most important argument as to why you need to make sure that your voice is heard.
0: This is a piece from Brian Tyler Cohen. I'm Kent Garrett and you are on board the 801. And one of the big events last week was was that RFK Jr. announced his presidential bid and the polls show that he has already uh, received uh, 14% of Biden voters. Brianna uh, Joy Gray and Bobby Suave react to the uh, Kennedy official announcement and uh, that he's going to challenge President Biden in 2024, and they think it could be an interesting race.
5: Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has officially announced his presidency today. A new poll shows 14% of Biden voters are with him. Director of the Suffolk University Political Research Center, David... Pelagos told USA Today in 2020, Joe Biden received more votes than any other president in U.S. history. Yet the poll tells us that those same voters are open to other Democrats to wage a spirited primary. Kennedy, although a long shot at this point, starts in double digits and can't be ignored.
6: So obviously he is the son of Robert F. Kennedy, former attorney general, when his brother, President Kennedy, was president, um, also assassinated like his brother. And uh, so there's the family legacy, etc. cetera. Kennedy's a very, a very popular family, very popular presidency for a certain um, American of a certain age, of a certain generation. So there's that. Obviously, he is most known, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is most known to the mainstream media as someone having an extremely anti-vaccine agenda and one predating COVID and all the uh, discussion around COVID vaccines. Uh, but, of course, he also stands for a lot of other things, a lot of other left-wing causes, uh, environmental causes, uh, foreign policy, non-interventionism, probably other things that you know would know more about than I do.
5: Yeah. Uh, he was an environmental lawyer for most of his career, uh, also a professor, I believe, at Pace. Um, and, and so— when we were listening to snippets of his speech in the break, it's ongoing as we are right. talking. And, um, we, and
6: we'll, you know, try to get someone who is on the ground there to talk more about it later.
5: Right, tomorrow, hopefully. But, you know, this is a a person who has also really foregrounded environmental rights issues and in a context where Joe Biden has, frankly, betrayed the interests of the environmental left uh, during the course of this presidency, most recently uh, opening up uh, the Arctic to this ConocoPhillips uh, deal. There is going to be a significant amount of appeal, both from the left on that issue and the anti-interventionism issues, and I think on the right, for people who are are very frustrated with how the Biden administration and, frankly, the Trump administration as well, uh, handled COVID and the lockdowns that they felt like lasted longer than they should have and weren't very uh, well-tailored to actually preventing the spread of the disease. Absolutely.
6: This is going to be a candidate who I think will just straight up appeal more to people on the right than to people in the Democratic coalition, which has— you know, moved so far away from a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. position on—well, not just on, you know, vaccines, the the importance, necessity of vaccines has become very central to the kind of mainstream Democratic consensus on how COVID should be handled and other, you know, mitigation efforts, um, as well as uh, on foreign policy, a kind of uh, hawkishness very much now at the root of the Democratic identity with respect to Russia and uh, Ukraine. So, we will see.
5: Yeah, so if you go to his website, uh, you see the Kennedy name really Let's do emphasized. That. He's, he says, I'm a Kennedy a Democrat, uh, very prominently on the front page above pictures of his father and mother and family, uh, pictures with his uncle in the Oval Office. Um, And he's really clearly leaning into the power of that name and the identity that so many Americans have with that family. And when you look at his political priorities, he lists honest government, which you heard him talk about a little bit in uh, his speech, uh, corruption, et cetera, Uh, reconciliation, bringing America together, healing the political divide, getting rid of the divisiveness, which is also always a really popular talking point for politicians, the environment, um, what he calls revitalization, which is uh, improving the economy, turning the economy around, peace, uh with a section titled "Bring It Home," which suggests um, this kind of anti-war ethos is going to be really core to this. And the final category here is civil liberties, uh, with a, t- a headline of "Restore Our Rights," um, f- restoring fundamental civil liberties enshrined in the Bill of Rights that hold the essence of what America can be. So, you know, it's a little bit, you know, vague at this point. I don't think that there's an expectation to have detailed policy promulgated at this point. But in terms of the broad outlines, he does seem to have a finger on the pulse of a kind of consensus view that I think, frankly, majorities of Americans very much hold. This is
6: this is so par for the course for how the mainstream media handles these things. So I just, you know, I'm looking around for coverage. Here's an ABC News uh, article from a week ago saying some experts fear rise in medical misinformation following RFK Jr.'s presidential announcement. Medical misinformation. <laughs> um, would they say that, you know, when Joe Biden inevitably declares that he's running again. Are they going to? Are they going have the same fears of medical misinformation? Joe Biden, who called this a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and said it's patriotic to get vaccinated so you won't spread it to other people, um, or, or any you know any of the other mainstream figures who have said things about vaccines that are incorrect?
5: Yeah, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. not. Yeah. Look, this this looks kind of good. I mean, it, it is broad strokes in the way that campaign websites typically are broad have broad strokes. But there was this interesting kind of uh, specificity in here. He points out in the environmental section that he was instrumental in transforming the Hudson from a dead river into one of America's cleanest. Um, he did it so by uniting liberal environmentalists with conservative rod and gun folks who share a desire for a clean, healthy environment. He has a quote saying, good environmental policy 100 percent of the time is identical to good economic policy. I'm sure people will debate that. But I, I think that's a constructive framing, because I think so much of what's wrong with environmental policy is that these externalities, they they cost money, but these costs are put onto the public, not on the corporations that cause the the problems. And we're seeing that in East Palestine. We saw it with the Chevron spill in Ecuador and the Amazon. Um, And we see it all all across the country as communities are polluted. Uh, So this feels like uh, very strong of a messaging perspective, even if it might at this juncture be thin on the particulars.
6: Mm. Well, reporter at Semaphore David Weigel is covering Kennedy's rally. In his speech, he reportedly said, quote, the government lies to us, we all know it. Fact check, true. (laughs) Kennedy says, citing low poll numbers in institutions, we know the media lies to us now and everybody knows it. Quote, a lot of the misinformation's just statements that depart from government orthodoxy. You know you're being lied to and you know you're being silenced. Kennedy ties his campaign to his father, saying that when RFK announced he had not a single molecule in him saying he could win the Democratic nomination, the liberal press was 100% against him. That hopelessness in his campaign freed him to tell the truth to the American people. So, Mm. you know, hitting some subjects there, again, painting in broad strokes, but (laughs) we know we have been misled by the government on a wide variety of fronts that is well known to, to... Right-wing people, to libertarians, to people on the left. It's actually well-known even to, like, plain old liberal Democrats if they're being honest with themselves and if they're, like, doing a flashback to the George Bush years where they were all, a- you know, freely able to admit sure. that Sure. Um, until things change.
5: Yeah, and i got to say, on, U- on Ukraine, which I think is why a lot of people will be attracted to this uh, particular uh, candidacy, he says, um, you know, he will, be, he will start the process of unwinding empire, bring the troops home, stop racking up unpayable debt to fight one war after another. He says in Ukraine, the most important priority is to end the suffering of the Ukrainian people, victims of a brutal Russian invasion and also victims of American geopolitical machinations going back at least Mm. to 2014. He says diplomacy has never really been tried. We will offer to withdraw our troops and nuclear capable missiles from Russia's borders. Russia will withdraw its troops from Ukraine and guarantee its freedom and independence. UN peacekeepers will guarantee peace to the Russian speaking eastern regions. We will put an end to this war, etc. What a kook. (laughs) <laughs> Kidding. Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, that all
6: sounds okay, very logical and reasonable, I and, mean, you know, and, he you know can't, why it's not— you he cannot
5: claim that Russia will withdraw its troops, obviously. Sure. He can't make those kind of declarations, but the idea that, that that diplomacy first should be tried, that the goal should not be mm-hmm. uh, a continuing American empire is going to resonate with a lot of folks. So I look forward to con- co- covering this candidacy. For sure.
0: Now we go to Sudan, a uh, growing list of countries have evacuated diplomats and citizens. From the uh, from Sudan's capital, as fierce fighting continues to ra- rage in Khartoum, uh, the U.S. and uh, United uh, King- Kingdom, and U.K. Uh, announced yesterday that they had flown diplomats uh, out of the country. France, Germany, and Italy and Spain have also been evacuating diplomats and other nationals. Uh, it, and again, it's a vicious power struggle between the regular army and powerful paramilitary forces. It's led to violence uh, for more than a week, and hundreds have been killed. Here's a report from the Al Jazeera News Network that tries to explain uh, really what's going on, an explanation what's going on with the fighting.
7: Let's talk about what's happening in Sudan.
2: Rival forces remain locked in a power struggle despite international calls for a ceasefire.
7: It's an all-out battle for control of the country between Sudan's army and a paramilitary unit known as the Rapid Support Forces, the RSF, led by men who used to be allies. Hundreds of people have been killed, and hundreds have been injured. There's fighting in different parts of Sudan, but it's heaviest in the capital Khartoum. There have been attempts at a ceasefire, but they haven't lost it. There have been air attacks and shelling. The airport has been severely damaged. There's no running water or electricity. Supplies of food are running low. This ridiculous battle that has civilians caught in the middle. And we have nothing to do with this. So what's behind the fighting? Well, people in Sudan have been struggling to set up a democracy after decades under one-man rule. Omar al-Bashir came to power in a military coup in the late 1980s, became president and stayed for 30 years, until people rose up and demanded that he step down. Then the army took over, and people didn't want them in charge either. So after pressure from protesters, the army agreed to share power with different political groups in a transitional government. The idea was that it would oversee a transition to a democratic system. But two years later, the army kicked out the prime minister and seized power again.
8: The people in Sudan seem to be trapped in this limbo and they're going around and around in a circle that involves the same people, you know, with no clear path or trajectory on how they can actually start to plan. Uh, for transitioning,
7: There have been ongoing talks to make that transition happen between the military and political groups representing that pro-democracy movement. But a major reason the process is being held up is because of an underlying rivalry between the army and the rapid support forces that have become like a second army. And many people see this as a personal rivalry between the army's leader, General Abdel Fatah Al Burhan, who's effectively the leader of the country and the leader of the RSF, General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalu, widely known as Hemeti. The thing is, for years, both men were on the same side and had been since the war in Darfur. Hemeti led a militia at the time, widely known as the Janjaweed, and they were used by al-Bashir's army to fight rebels in the region of Darfur.
8: They were created to protect the upper echelon of the military and the senior commanders.
7: They're accused of carrying out war crimes there, and al-Bashir actually got charged with committing genocide. In 2013, the militia were rebranded as the Rapid Support Forces and worked with the army on different missions. Then in 2019, Hemeti and General al Burhan joined up to get rid of al-Bashir. And during the big pro-democracy protests, the RSF and the army were accused of killing more than 100 people. But since then, the RSF has been acting a lot more independently, and they've grown more powerful.
8: They were able to establish vast investments uh, around the country and outside the country, especially in the gold trade. These two main actors, uh, the army and the Rapid
6: Support Forces, were able to collude, you know, now successfully for about four years uh, to stay in power themselves, but there was always that core tension um, about who was the top dog between them.
7: So that brings us to the fighting right now. As part of Sudan's transition to democracy, there have been talks about integrating the RSF into the army, but they can't agree over the timeline. The army proposed two years, while the RSF wanted it to be ten.
6: The army, um, you know, had been making a stand. Uh, they realized that the the rapid support forces uh, have been growing. Um, the head, General Hemeti, has political ambitions himself. um, And I think there was a sense that if they did not somehow force uh, the rapid support forces to agree to integrate and to to go under them, that this force would keep growing and and grow out of the control of the formal military.
7: It's unclear who started the fighting, but on April 15th, both sides started trading accusations that they had attacked each other's bases in Khartoum then, they fought to take control of the presidential palace, the airport, and the state TV channel. The army has air power, and they've been hitting RSF bases in the capital, many of them in residential areas. The RSF don't have planes, but they do have anti-aircraft weapons, and they have about 100,000 men. There have been plenty of calls for the fighting to stop, from Sudan's neighbors, the African Union, the UN, the EU, the US, and the UK. And there could be some leverage from countries like Egypt, which has been a close ally to the Sudanese army, and on the other side, the UAE, which has ties to the RSF. But there's no sign that either side wants to back down.
8: Right now, for a lot of people, it's it, this is it's a period of confusion. It's a period of uh, uncertainty. Um, about what's going to happen in the next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few days. And uh, it's a period of war and they have nowhere to turn to. A
7: lot of people in Sudan are scared, heartbroken and frustrated. Their country keeps getting derailed off that path towards democracy. It's a hope that seems even more distant now.
0: Time now is uh, 8.53. That was a piece from the uh, Al Jazeera News Channel. I'm Kent Garrett. You're on board the 801. And a few more headlines this morning. The New York Daily News reports that a magnitude 3.6 earthquake shook up residents in upstate New York yesterday. Uh, It was a small earthquake. It happened in Jefferson County uh, shortly after 2 p.m., and uh, the uh, the United States Geological Survey organization said that the quake uh, was within a mile of Adams Center, which is a hamlet about ten miles south. Uh, yeah, ten miles south of Watertown. The Ross Ross Story website reports that Donald Trump's decision to stay away from the uh, E. Jean Carroll trial that begins this week. Uh, and this week, a jury will decide if he sexually assaulted her in an apartment store between the fall of 1995 and the spring of 1996. Well, uh, experts are saying it could be a major tactical error. Uh, Trump's electing not to show up for the trial. Uh, appearing on the on MSNBC News, U.S. Attorney uh, Barbara McWade explained that Trump uh, Trump no show would would not play well with New York City jurors who are already uh, not predisposed to like him. Uh, plus, she said that, uh, you know, the, in the it might help him in the uh, primary, but when it comes to the uh, general election, there might be some problems. And the Earth Day uh, message, uh, according to alternate net, net uh, news channel, the Earth Day message uh delivered to President Joe Biden uh, outside the White House on Saturday was pretty clear and it it asked him to do everything in his power to bring the age of fossil fuels to an end. Uh but they argue that he has rapidly been uh he is he has not rapidly escalated the renewable energy transition. Uh and that holds the key to a more sustainable future. It was delivered, the message was delivered by hundreds who turned out to march in downtown Washington and rallied outside the president's official residence. Uh, And Semaphore, on the Semaphore website, Kevin McCarthy uh, is reported to have his work cut out for him next week because as of Friday afternoon, the House Speaker still had not wrapped up enough votes to pass the Republican Party's uh, uh, debt ceiling bill, and that's according to the sources who keep tabs on the whip count. And what's more, they said it's unclear how McCarthy could satisfy his members' uh, clashing demands. Uh, One one House Republican described the situation as a mess that would uh, need to be dealt with in the coming days. And in the Albany Times, the number of motorists charged with driving under the influence of narcotics, including marijuana, has risen steadily over the past five years uh, in New York. Uh, in 2021, the year that the state legalized marijuana, more than 10% of the uh, impaired driving tickets uh, that were issued involved drug use, uh, And the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said that between 2009 and 2018, the presence of uh, marijuana had nearly doubled in drivers who were killed in crashes and subsequently tested for drugs. And in uh, 2018, nearly half of drivers killed and later screened for drugs, tested positive for uh, marijuana. Well, the time now is uh, 8, coming up on 8.58, and that's going to be it for this edition of the 8.01. Thank you for joining me. And um, i Kent Garrett. I will talk to you again tomorrow morning.